Firstly, thank you to all of you who joined us for the Ladies Simplify online retreat. Thank you for making it a success. Thank you for participating. And also welcome to those of you who are accessing these recordings because you've heard about them or because you were unable to attend the original sessions. What we are asking for those of you who didn't attend the original conference is that you might consider making a small donation to the Ladies Online Retreat Fund for next year so that we can subsidize some places and enable as many people as possible to join us. Details of how to do this will be at the end of the recording. In the meantime, I hope you enjoy this session. Welcome. Um, I'm so, so happy that you've decided to join the workshop with me. Um, and I'm going to do my best. But Allison, can you kind of give me a heads up when I get close to, to our time? Okay. I don't want to keep anybody too late. I want to be aware of that. Maybe give me a five minute, when we're five minutes to, to the end or something like that. Please. Thank you. Um, and I'm going to um, ask Pastor Louise if she would, I didn't ask her ahead of time, but would you open us in prayer, Louise? Would you be willing to do that, friend? Sure. Yeah. Can you hear me? Because I was just playing around trying to use her if you can. Great. Oh, Heavenly Father, as we're gathered uh, across the miles, we thank you uh, for your presence with us in this moment uh, and indeed for this conference. And we just ask for your blessing uh, on Tiana and all that she's going to share with us this morning and that we'll share with one another. Uh, pray that you would just speak uh, through her, that you would enable her to share stories and to challenge us, Lord, convict us and yeah, just challenge us to, to pray, to think, to act uh, about in response to the things that she may share with us this morning. Just ask your blessing and your spirit to be with us now in Jesus name. Amen. Please. And we do welcome, I welcome you and we welcome the Lord here. Um, I'm going to see. If I can share my screen one time, I'm going to try because I've had difficulty with it. And nope, it's not going to work. Okay, I'm going to stop because I don't want to take any more time. I have a. Tiana, sorry, I've just given you Sharon rights there to share. So if you try that now. One more time. Um. Yeah, it's not showing up, which I was afraid of. I've been teaching a class and I've been struggling with this too. So I'm not going to spend any more time with it. Um, but I have a PowerPoint, which um, I'm happy to share with you afterwards if you let me know and I'll, I'll send it to you. But my presentation isn't so dependent upon that. So I have a question for you. And this is a yes or no question. Thumbs up is yes. And somebody told me today in my class that I was teaching that I have a I have a hitchhiker's thumb because it bends back. I don't know. So anyway, thumbs up is yes. Thumbs down is no. And this is I'm not sure. OK, so I can see all of you unless you're not sharing unless you're not sharing sharing your video with me. Um, I, I just want an answer. A yes or a no. Or I'm not sure. Do you believe that hospitality is an act of justice? What do you think? Is hospitality an act of justice? Yeah. Oh, got some. All right. 
Interesting. Okay. Very, very good. And some people aren't sure. Some people are up. I don't think I saw any, any definitive no's. So that's good. That's interesting. All right. Well, I want to take some time today to talk about, and you know, we have this, this theme of simplify. And then I, the theme for this, this particular workshop is simply justice or simple justice, the good of God. And I want to talk a little bit today. I'm going to begin with um, a story that, that is so very, very close to my heart. Um, you know that in 2015, when the refugee situation kind of came to, um, came to a big crisis. There were thousands of refugees that were flowing through the Balkans and Central Europe, and those are the countries that Jay and I are responsible for. And so um, the Church of the Nazarene in our part of the world was responding, and I had this wonderful privilege to be on many, many different borders, meet many, many different people as a Nazarene missionary, and, um, and fell in love, genuinely fell in love with so many uh, Middle Eastern refugees that, that I met along the way. Um, and some of those those people or those families I've uh, been able to keep contact with and we've um, deepened our relationship. One of those families that has been very, very special to me um, is, a, is a young family. Um, his name is Walid, the, the dad or the husband's name is Walid and his wife is Merfat. And when I met them on the Greek border, um, they were stuck on the border. They had two children uh, below the age of six and Merfat, the wife, was pregnant with their third child. And they welcomed me into their tent in a makeshift uh, camp. And they welcomed me into their tent. They fed me their cookies that they had carried with them from home. They they brought me tea and they befriended me. They, were, they offered me beautiful, beautiful hospitality. And so as our relationship began to grow, I came to know that one of Merfat's biggest uh, fears was that she was going to have to give birth in a tent on the border in Greece. And um, she was genuinely scared that that would happen, as I think all of us would be if we were in the same situation. She did give birth. She gave birth in a Greek hospital. It was still a very traumatic experience. And that baby, who they um, named Hasna Noor, which means beautiful light. Um, so Hasna Noor, beautiful light, was born. She has no, uh, no official um, um, nationality on her passport. It says refugee, and that will be her nationality, her identity until she becomes 18 and then can choose her own identity. Eventually, after months and months of living on the border in a, in a tent with a newborn baby, they were moved to Romania. And then after Romania, they were able to settle in Germany. And so once they were settled, we visited them frequently on the border in Greece. We visited them in Romania, but then when they moved to Germany, we went to be with them a couple of different times. And so we stayed in their small apartment. They'd been placed in an apartment in a village, a German village, and there were many, many other, there were over 2,000 other refugee families that were kind of in that same community in their apartment building and, and the surrounding area that the German government had, had assigned them that living space. So here we are, our family of six, and we've come to spend several days with Walid Merfat, their three three children, and now Merfat is pregnant with another baby, and um, uh, in in their small two room apartment. And so our family of six is sleeping in one little bedroom, and then their family of four, uh, five and a half is sleeping in another bedroom. And here we are. It's um, we we chose to come over Easter 
weekend because it was a long weekend and we're there with our girls, with our high school age girls. Now, I want to just be honest with you and say that when a Christian family comes to stay with a Muslim family over um, Protestant Easter weekend, that has a lot of interesting cultural dynamics. So let me just talk about a few of those. For example, and uh, now I'm just being honest, I have four girls and I'm a woman myself. So there are five of us women and we're all, um, we're all in the teenage years the or, or older in my case older we're all in the age where we um we can have children so that has certain ramifications um during every month and so there we are in a muslim home sharing one bathroom with this with this family and i'm aware in my mind okay what does that all look like and how what what happens and how how, how do we navigate these this this really uh, uncomfortable situation. Or what happens when my daughter, one of my three daughters, number three, Lydia, she's she's a vegetarian. She's been a vegetarian for years. She she never liked meat. Okay, so here we are in this Muslim home, and we talk about it on the way, on the long drive from Hungary to Germany. But what are you going to do when they offer you meat? Because they're going to offer you meat. I mean, they're going to have, we're sleeping in their home. We're eating there for four days. Syrian families are proud about their cooking. I mean, they fill the table with food. And some of that food is going to be is going to be meat and what are you going to do how are you going to receive the hospitality without offending this family I made the mistake of somehow telling Walid or letting Walid know that Lydia was a vegetarian. So then, and Lydia was prepared to eat meat, by the way, we talked about it. She knew she was going to have to, but then Walid sees this as, as an opportunity to change Lydia. So every time the meat plates go, go around the table, you know, Walid saying, Lydia, you have to try this. Merfat made it by hand, you know, and Syrian, one of the things that Syrian people say when they welcome you to the table and their hospitality is immense and they say, eat as much as you love me. Eat as much as you love me. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm a vegetarian. I'm stuffed. I'm overwhelmed. What do you do about when you sit down at the meal and this family knows that we're Christians and they know that we're missionaries? Do we pray? Do we not pray? How do we navigate the conversations or the shows that are on TV that are in Arabic, but that maybe um, shows that are showing a little bit more skin than, than, than we all might be comfortable with? Or what about this? You see, Jay, my husband, Jay loves food. And we used to live in Bulgaria. And in Bulgaria, they have these really, really amazing sausages. And they're called shishche. Okay, so the Bulgarian word for these really, really delicious sausages are is shishche. And Jay loves shishche. Okay, like his his world revolves around shishche. Well, Bulgarian food is often really connected to Greek food, which is really connected to Turkish food, which is really connected to Middle Eastern food. There can be a lot of overlap, right? So we're sitting there. Uh, we've been in their home for maybe 12 hours. And Walid looks over at Jay and Walid says, I'm so excited that you're coming. 
And because you were coming and to celebrate the fact that you're coming, I bought some new sheesh. And we're going to go to the garden later today, and we are going to have sheesh together. And I've got a new flavor. Well, Jay's eyes are lighting up. I can see my husband because he's imagining this new flavor of sheesh shade, this new flavor of meat kebabs, that he is now going to have this opportunity, you know, with this Syrian flair, that he's going to have this opportunity to, to try. And he's so excited about being in the garden. And he's like, yes, yes, yes. I'm so excited about that. But but the girls and I have caught the fact that Waleed didn't say shishche. Waleed said shish. Does anybody know what a Syrian means when he talks about shish? He he's talking about a hookah. He's talking about smoking the tobacco, and he's got a new strawberry-flavored tobacco that he's so excited to take Jay into the garden to smoke with him. You know, those are funny, funny stories, but the reality is we left that weekend exhausted. Why? I mean, we loved every minute of it. Why? Because the emotional pressure of trying to navigate the differences in culture, the differences in religion, the differences in every different aspect, language, was absolutely emotionally exhausting. Each evening, Waleed would say to Jay, because this would be a typical thing for a Syrian family, he'd, say, he'd look over to Jay and he'd say, after, after the meal, he'd say, hey, let's go to the kitchen for, for men time and a smoke. Well, of course, Jay doesn't smoke cigarettes. So then it was, let's go for a smoke and a Coke, right? And so the men would go to the kitchen and the women and the children would stay in the living room because that was culturally appropriate. And Jay and Waleed would sit in the in the kitchen and Waleed would smoke and Jay would have a Coke. And Jay said he noticed as he sat in the kitchen, in the small kitchen, in this apartment building that was full of refugees, Muslim refugees from Syria, that in the one window of that kitchen, if you sat at the table and you looked out the window, if you looked right over the, the, the tree line, the, the only thing that dominated the view of that kitchen window were two, the steeples of two different churches, a Catholic church and a Lutheran church. So every morning when Waleed would have his smoke and his coffee and every evening when he would go to the kitchen for his smoke, he was looking out from his window and he was looking. The only thing that he could see were two steeples of two Christian churches. I wanna talk a little bit today about hospitality and a little bit about justice. And you know, traditionally we think about hospitality maybe as this idea of making our homes beautiful, decorating nicely. But I wanna, I, I want to suggest to us that that's not at all what the, what the early church had in mind when they talked about hospitality. That um, Christine Pohl is, a, is an author and a professor. She's written a lot about hospitality in the ancient church. Um, I would suggest to you, if you're interested, that she's a great place to start as an author. But Christine Pohl says that hospitality is a lens through which we can read and understand all of the gospel. So when Paul talks about a lens of hospitality to understand the gospel, she's talking about things like the early church, the early Christians 
expressing hospitality in the form of welcoming others, welcoming people who weren't like them, who weren't like them in their social status, their economic status, their ethnic status, even in, in the mixture of men and women, in the mixture of sexes, which for that culture was absolutely unheard of. Hospitality for the early church meant sitting down with, with one another. It meant sharing food. It meant being at a table and the table being bigger and bigger and bigger as the groups, as that group expanded. It meant restoring dignity to people. It meant becoming identified with one another. And when you begin to understand that mixture of cultures and socioeconomic status, then being identified with one another takes on huge repercussions. It's a bigger, bigger reality than a Christian missionary family spending the weekend in a Muslim home over Easter. And the early church understood that hospitality was a qualification for leadership. If we look at, if we do research on the early church, ex extending and receiving hospitality was a requirement for leadership in the church. Christian believers were to regard hospitality to strangers as a fundamental expression of the gospel, of the good news. Um, The early church recognized and was noted for the fact that they um, understood the equal value and dignity of people, absolutely unheard of for their culture. The idea that the early church would welcome people of different economic, social, ethnic, religious backgrounds to one table to share meals in homes and to worship together with persons of these different backgrounds was a proof of the Christian faith. So in reality, our early church forefathers and foremothers were both extending hospitality and they were receiving hospitality. And those actions were acts of faith. Why do I say that? One of, the, one of the earliest references to Christian hospitality and to Christian gatherings that we have is actually a letter that was written by Pliny, who was a, who was a governor of an area where there, were, where there were new Christians, early Christians. And he writes to the emperor of the time, this would be in the first decade of the second century. And he says this, um, he, he's taken actually two slaves, um, and they've uh, they've terrorized the slaves and they've tried to they're trying to figure out he's trying to figure out what this christian group is doing why they're doing it and you know it's a this is a group that he that he understands as somehow being um uh, needs to be eradicated it's a it's a they're dangerous and so these two young women slaves um have been tortured and he writes then to the emperor and he says, um, however, they, these two slaves that he's tor tortured, they assured me that the main of their fault or of their mistake was this, that they were wont on a stated day to meet together before it was light, to sing a hymn to Christ as to a God, 
and to oblige themselves by a sacrament or an oath not to do anything that was ill, but that they would commit to no theft or pilfering or adultery, that they would not break their promises or deny what was deposited with them when it was required back again. After which it was their custom to depart and to meet again at a common but innocent meal, which they had left upon that edict, which I published at your command, these examinations made me think it necessary to inquire by torments what the truth was, which I did of two servant maids who were called deaconesses. But still I discovered no more than that they were addicted to a bad and to an extravagant superstition. Hereupon I have put off any further examinations and have recourse to you for the affair seems to be well worth consultation, especially on account of the number of those that are in danger. For they are many of every age, of every rank, and of both sexes who are now and hereafter likely to be called to account and to be in danger. For this superstition is spread like contagion. In other words, the gathering together, this expression of, of hospitality, the extending and the receiving of hospitality was such, a, was such a witness to the community around them that, that the gospel began to spread because people saw what this community of Christians, how they acted and how they interacted with one another. Hospitality was an act of faith. And it was also an act of justice. Um, if we look at if we look at the early Christians, we see if we look at early cultures in which the Christian the early Christians were planted, we begin to see that the Christians actually begin to define justice in new terms that goes against the current uh, of the culture where they lived. So human life in those cult in their culture was regarded as inviolable and worthy of protection. Human life was not regarded as worthy of protection. Slave and barbarians did not have a right to a full life. There were human sacrifices. Of course, we know about the gladiator, uh, the gladiators. We know um, that deformed infants were put to death. Aristotle said that or abortion was a desirable option. Um, the Stoic Seneca says unapologetically, unnatural progeny we destroy. We drown every, even children who at birth are weak and abnormal. But most historians agree that the rise of Christianity contributed greatly to the general feeling that human life is valuable and worthy of respect. So what is justice? It's not simply the absence of unjust situations, especially unjust situations against me. It's also the making right of all systems in creation, including my complicity in those systems. Brokenness being restored and relationships made right. 
Justice is the practical theology of love lived out. Biblical justice is about reconciled relationships. Man with God or woman with God, woman with woman, woman with nature, the created order, woman with herself. And when I say woman with woman, I mean woman with society, with other people. So humanity with humanity. Um, the prophet Amos, uh, Amos says this, and I'm going to read it from the message. Amos 5, 21 to 24. It's one of my favorite verses on justice. So I'm reading it from the message. The, 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 the words are more direct. I can't stand your religious meetings. I'm fed up with your conferences and conventions. I want nothing to do with your religion projects, your pretentious slogans, and your goals. I'm sick of your fundraising schemes, your public relations, and image making. I've had all I can take of your noisy ego music. When was the last time you sang to me? Do you know what I want? I want justice, oceans of it. I want fairness, rivers of it. That's what I want. That's all I want. When we talk about hospitality and how hospitality, the extension of hospitality or the receiving of hospitality begins to work as justice in our cultures. I think it becomes a scary topic It's one of the things that, that became very evident to me when I began to work with refugees. So now let me be just really, really honest with you. It's true of me. I don't know if it's true of you, but I'm going to tell you right now that it's true of me. I don't think I understand my faith well enough. I don't think I understand my theology well enough. And because I have missing places in my theology and in my understanding of scripture, um, I begin to create walls or, or safeguards. I also don't understand Islam well enough. So I'm in this, I'm in these camps with people who are Muslim and committed to Islam, committed to their faith. But I have a very, very small, tiny understanding of what that means. And because I have ignorance in my own faith and I have ignorance in the faith of this, this religious group that I'm, I'm now somehow interacting with, in order to be protective, I begin to put, a, put up walls. See, I don't want to cross the line. I don't want to do something 
as a Christian that I shouldn't do that somehow invalidates my faith or offends my faith or somehow puts my faith, my Christian faith in danger. But I'm not really sure because I have an ignorance because maybe I haven't done the homework that I need to do. I'm not really sure where that line is. And so because I don't know where the line is, but I don't want to cross it. I don't want to make mistakes. I stay way back just to make sure that I don't make any mistakes. Let me give you an example. So here I am. I'm a missionary. I'm your missionary. Maybe after I tell you the story, maybe I won't be your missionary anymore. I don't know. I'm in a camp in Greece. I go to that camp every day. Every It's, it's Ramadan. It's over almost 40 degrees in July. And every day when I come in the middle of Ramadan, the ladies of that camp, and we're talking 50, 60 ladies, I mean, there's more, but these, this group of ladies come and they welcome me and they bring me to the women's section and the girls as well. And we're, we're there and they bring us to the, to the women's section uh, of the camp. And, and then they, they sit us down and they, they, they give us salads that they've made with the food that has been brought in for them. And they've made salads and they've made this food that's Greek food that they don't like. And they've somehow done this miraculous thing and made it into this tasty Syrian salad. And they give us tea and they give us these sweet, wonderful drinks. And then they sit around and they watch us eat it because it's Ramadan and they're not going to partake until the sun goes down. Day after day in 40 degrees Celsius weather. And, and we begin to have this relationship and this love for one another. And these Muslim ladies are interacting. And one day I'm sitting there and all of a sudden I feel a couple of the ladies that I've grown close to and they begin to play with my hair. And this is a typical thing for women in, in, in their culture. And suddenly I've, uh, my hair has been bra being braided and I can hear all this Arabic conversation of these ladies, they're ooh and ah, and you know, they're having fun with this idea that they're, they're extending this love to me, right? It's this, it's this love, it's this friendship, it's this extension of, of what it means to be welcomed into their culture as a woman and before I know it not only has my hair been done in this this wonderful Syrian style but then they're putting a scarf over me and and before I know it I look like one of them have I crossed have I crossed a line I'm now wearing I'm now wearing a hijab Have I, have I crossed a line in receiving hospitality from them? Or have I been the expression of Jesus? Or when my young Oravan, my friend Oravan, who's young, much younger than me, um, young, a young wife, and when she talks to me about her journey, is it wrong or is it right of me to say to Oravan, how has your faith, knowing full well that when I ask about her faith, I'm talking about her Muslim faith, how has your faith helped you on this journey? 
If we look at Luke 10, you know, we often talk about the Great Commission, go into the world making disciples, caring for the nations, making disciples. But if we look at Luke 10, we see Jesus sending out 70. And when Jesus sends out that 70, he says, take nothing with you. Enter into the homes where you're welcomed. Eat the food that they offer. Sit at their table, stay in their homes. Become part of them. Receive the hospitality that is being offered. And this is the key point of this workshop. And I'm going to suggest this to you. And we're going to open it up for some conversation. And then I'll give you just a few practical things at the end. What if the sharing of the gospel is best accomplished when we are willing to be the ones who receive the hospitality of the other. And what I mean by that is, what if God intended that the burden of being at a table where you don't understand the cultural expectations where you don't understand what is expected, where you're not the one in control of who, what food you eat and what the schedule is and how you eat that food and how you interact with one another, when the control of that is not in my hands as a Christian, but rather I sit at the table as the guest and I take on the burden of discomfort and I receive the hospitality I enter as the one who is the other. And I let go of control and I allow the control to be in the hands of those that God has called me to share the gospel with. Think about your church before COVID. It's all different now. Think about how much control we have. We, we invite people, non-Christians, into our churches but we control when the doors open and when they close we control what people wear we control what they say and how they say it what food they eat and how it's offered and when it's offered and whether they can bring drinks and in, into the sanctuary or they can't as christian communities we offer hospitality but how often do we receive hospitality? Do we let go of the control, take on the burden of being the one who is different, who doesn't know, in order to be Jesus to those that he has sent us to? Okay, thoughts? push back and you can push back. I won't, I promise. I know I'm an American, but I, I, I don't have thin skin. So you can, you can push back. You can disagree. 
I'm a teacher. It's okay. Awesome. Yeah. Hi, Violet. Yeah. I think it's amazing what you've been saying, but I just was wondering, you know, that text that you used in Luke. Luke 10. Mm-hmm. Another one, isn't there, where he says out, says, I can't remember what it says, but it's like an opposite to this one. Hmm. Um, do, do you know what I'm talking about? Because I think it says it goes to go with the sword and things like that. Uh, um, I think I know what you're talking about. I don't think I can come come up with it. I'm not one. Of, I'm not good at pulling things off the top of my head. But yes, oh, Lord, where where our faith will divide and and um, children against uh, children against parents, husband. Yeah, it, it, it says, um, I can't remember what it says now, but it's like totally different to this going out. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's different ways of going out. Um, I, I should have a look at it anyway, properly, but I can't think where it is just offhand. Does anybody else know what the scripture I'm talking about? <laughs> Never mind. I think it's Luke 12, I think, somewhere. Yeah, Luke 12. Does it say um, towards the end. Don't go in the houses and it doesn't send them in twos then, does Is this one where it sends them in twos? Yeah, it sends them in twos. It says yeah. shape. Where they don't receive you, shake the dust off of yeah. your feet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's fabulous all what you've been saying, um, you know, to, for challenging. For challenging. I just wondered about that other scripture that's about the same about going out. So, Violet, I will have a look at that after the workshop. Let me have a look at that and see. What yeah. I would say, what I would, what I would want to say is I would challenge us you don't have to agree, but challenge us to look at, at at the life of Jesus through the lens of hospitality. Read through the Gospels and see Jesus at work and use the lens of hospitality to see how Jesus interacts with people. And 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 just ask yourself, do we see something there that God that Jesus is doing that that we're meant to emulate, that we're meant to to, to do as well? Yeah. I think it's um, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Josephine. <laughs> I think it's really awkward. I've, I've um, been invited to somebody else's table who, um, when they, they speak a different language, and it's really nice, the hospitality, but they're not totally understanding what's going on because they naturally go back to their own language and feeling sort of excluded a bit, but then actually actually owning that exclusion mm. and um, sort of sitting with it is, is quite awkward. Um, and I wonder, because all I can do is sit with it, is whether I'm, what am I missing? Um, because I don't understand the language. I don't understand the complexities of it. And I think that goes the same with culture. And stuff like that. So it it is an awkward place to be, and yet it's um, maybe something we have to become more um, accepting of in order to value one another and be accepting of each other. Yeah, that's those are really great comments. I think you're right, Josephine. I would submit to you that those that feeling that you have when you when you that when you experience that that is the feeling that non-christians have every time they walk through the doors of our church 
because our church culture is absolutely foreign to them. And that's not even, I mean, that's British people, British non-Christians. I'm not even talking about a Muslim person who would come through our church, the doors of our church, but that insecurity, that not knowing that discomfort, all of that is the expectation that we have for people to carry when they come into our churches. And what I'm suggesting to us is that if we really want to be the people of God and we really want to be the good news, maybe it's our turn to take that burden. Amen. Yeah. That's been the most interesting thing for me is because we usually regard hospitality as us opening the door. Us providing, us being um, the hosts in a sense. And to think of being hospitable as us being the receivers of someone else's blessings, you know, of, of someone else and, and allowing other people to, to bless us and us, how we receive that blessing and how we um, then handle the uncomfortable, the the unknown of everything as that being hospitality that that's a real that's a real paradigm shift for me because that's never something that i've thought about and i've been frustrated of for many years that i felt that we can't be hospitable because our house isn't <laughs> our house is a bit too cluttered to have other people than us because we know the paths um, <laughs> Susanna's nodding because she knows our house and she knows the paths. But it's it feels like paths. <laughs> <laughs> but it feels like we can't open our doors to to have others, and because we're a little bit out of the way of other people, etc. Um, but it's a revelation to know that actually being hospitable is also, and you know, thinking back to what Jesus did, he went and he he had dinner with uh, the tax collectors and with all of these people that were not acceptable that were on the fringes of society and he didn't invite them in he he was welcomed in and that that's a real huh yeah Thank you. And that's, and that's the point. That's the A plus or, or whatever of this whole workshop. If you can take that piece home and think about it and pray about it, do your own research, do your own study. But that, that's the whole point of that's that is in a nutshell what I what I would hope you would take home with you and think about, pray about. Because I think, I think where we are in the world, and, and I'm talking about globally, it's the paradigm, sh paradigm shift that has to happen if we actually want to see people come to know Jesus. Hmm. And I could go deeper theologically with you, and I could say, if you look at, you know, Christine Pohl says, if you read the, the New Testament, the Gospels, through the lens of hospitality, but I would say to you, if we read the entirety of our of our ancient story, all of Scripture, with we can read it with the lens of hospitality. We just celebrated Jesus coming as a baby. That is an absolute paradigm shift because what does Jesus? What does God do? God takes on flesh, leaves heaven, takes on flesh, and when He takes on flesh, He becomes other. 
He is no longer like God. He is no longer, he no longer looks like the Trinity. Are you with me? God takes on flesh to look like us and enters into our world vulnerably as a vulnerable person who has needs. And you know what the beauty of it is? We don't think about, we don't talk about this sacrifice because it's a paradigm shift to say we need to have, we need to sacrifice. Look at the sacrifice. We never talk about this. Jesus, when he take, when he puts on flesh and becomes to look like you and like me, dies on the cross, which is also an expression of hospitality, and then comes back, he still has a body in the resurrection. What does that mean? It means that when you and I die and we walk into heaven's gates and Christ meets us, he meets us in a body in heaven as the host. He looks like us. Do you get that? But it's a sacrifice because when God put on flesh, he became other. He, God became other. And no longer looks like the community, the Trinity, from which God was first part. Any other thoughts? Hi. Hi, Beryl. Hi. You know, when we lived in Morocco, we went in quite a few people's homes for meals, from people who were rich to, to slum, slum dwellers, really. And they were always very kind. We didn't understand what they were saying most of the time. But it was wonderful to be able to go, and especially when we went to the poorest and you realised what it must have cost them to feed us you know, and um, there was no way that we felt that we could help them. We did, we did invite different people back to our home, you know, we did that. But this particular couple, Jeff sort of looked at the guy and he said, he realised that what size trousers he had. So when he went to work, he got two pairs of trousers and we went back to his his. his um, workplace because he, he he owned his own workplace making furniture very poor though still and he presented him with these pair, two pair of trousers which he loved you know he absolutely loved that he'd done that but there were times when I thought should we have done that you know it was almost how did they really react to us giving them those trousers should we have just left it and said thank you and go i mean they give us gifts you know when we were with them so i thought well we can give a gift back but it's always you don't want to upset them and you never know what's the right thing to do when we came to eating i'm funny about eating <laughs> but i i had i did eat the food that they presented to us and showed appreciation and so on. But I always wondered afterwards about those two pair of trousers. Should we have just left it and accepted what they gave us? And just for us to have said thank you, we appreciate and so on. It's, it's, it's strange. You never know whether you're doing the right thing. 
So my attitude was, they've invited us to our, their house. We will do whatever they want us to do. But it's, it's, it's the other bit, you know. When it came to them coming to our house, they checked that we were, I was using the right meat. <laughs> is, it, is this meat that we can eat? And I said, yes, we specifically bought that kind of meat, you know. And, and it, it was a, a quite an interesting experience. It was hard work, but for the 18 months we were there, we realised afterwards what a pleasure it was getting to know a different culture like that. It really was. Beryl, I think that the expression of love that you extended by giving them trousers was the message that they received. And it was a beautiful message. Mm. Um, and, you know, when you, when you received hospitality from them, when you went and you received their hospitality, you know, when we receive hospitality from others, it, it gives them dignity. It restores dignity. And Jesus was consistently restoring dignity to people, the prostitutes, the tax collectors. I mean, you just name it. That restoration of dignity is, is the activity of Jesus. And it, it is part of what we're called to. Um, I just say something. Yeah. yeah. Um, so like, I feel that COVID is really, it's really hard to accept hospitality. So I actually work for Christian charity and I, I sit within the NHS and I'm called a focus care worker. And so I work in this multicultural, I call it United Nations area of Oldham. And I hardly have any white English patients on my, on my caseload. As I said to you before, there's a couple of people in every conversation I have is through a, um, a telephone conversation called language line. And like, you know, all these people, they offer me a drink and normally I would take it because I have eaten things in my life on different mission trips and in this country that, you know, I don't like, um, but I will still have it. Um, but it's really difficult. And then yesterday I took this really small Romanian girl to the dentist because she's got really bad decay. They can't get there otherwise. And when I got there, they weren't ready. And then the mother was just getting a little girl ready and she sprayed some perfume on her. And then I said, oh, that's beautiful. And so she gave some to me and, you know, I smiled and took it. It, it was smelled nice. It wasn't like what I would take, but actually that was accepting her hospitality. And I know that I really need to gain the trust of this family and I want to build the strength of this family in parenting these children. But at the moment, they don't always have all the skills. And so one of our bases of our job is that we do is strength-based, but it's really like, you know, seeing the goodness in people and our whole ethos of our charity is to be kind. And like, so taking that, other people might've said, oh no, please don't spray perfume on me. But I just thought, no, actually, do you know what? If that's their hospitality, I want to take it, you know, and, and you know, I know I'm doing something for them, but yeah, I want to just take that. So it was, it was really like a really kind of special moment of the day, really. Love that. Mm -hmm. oh. And I want to affirm that and say, yeah, that was that was a beautiful expression uh, of receiving hospitality. You know, we and we Nazarenes, we're so awesome when it comes to compassion. I mean, we really, really are. Like, I love that part of who we are as Nazarenes. We are awesome at at, give, at expressing compassion. I mean, we even have, you know, we have our own wing of the church, which is committed completely to to, to compassion. As it should be, because that is the activity, that is part of the activity of what it means to be um, the body of believers. So I am absolutely affirming that. What I think happens sometimes is that we so often 
Uh, we do so often engage in acts of compassion that we understand what it means to give, but we don't exercise the muscle of receiving. Mm. And, the, and, and so, you know, the reality is that the person who gives mm. always has mm. Has, right? The person that brings that gives is the one that has everything. And always, if I'm giving, it's it's a downward it's a downward slant to the person who doesn't have. Right? I'm the one I have. I give, and I and it's a downward slant toward the people who don't, the people that are lower than me. Right? But well, and so compassion is beautiful. But if we want to really have relationship with people, I mean, truly the way God calls us to have a relationship, we have got to change that direction and to realize that sometimes we need to receive. And it's not just an act of saying, okay, I'm going to receive, but it's the recognition that that person has something that I need. It is recognizing that I have need. And what I would say to us as a church is that we have forgotten. You know, so often we think about we as Christians, the church has the answers, right? We have the answers to eternal life. We have the answers to, we have the answers about the Bible. We have the answers of Christ. We, we want to give every, we want to give all the answers to everybody. But what if, when I sit at a table with Muslim, a Muslim family over Easter, what if talking about their faith actually begins to create opportunities for me to receive something more, to learn to see Jesus in different ways? And that in seeing, I'm not saying, I'm not saying become, I'm not saying believe in believe Islam. I'm not saying become Muslim. Don't hear me. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that when we pick up other people's lenses from other religions and we begin to talk about faith and not just try to tell them why they should believe in Jesus, but actually listen to how they understand that it actually begins to deepen our faith. It gives us new ways of seeing God. It reveals new aspects of God's character, how God works in the lives of those people, and that that is something that we need. Or maybe it's just that we need to learn what it means to extend hospitality in ways that people from those cultures, those other cultures, um, do so well. Yeah, it's that thing of... Um for many of us when we can live in our own little bubbles in our own little world and and that's our safe place um and when we think about all of these um different colors or, or you know or you know cultures and stuff like that we take away people's humanity and we take away people like we are all people it doesn't matter you know um what culture we were born into we are people born of God, you know, we are, you know, it's that thing of remembering that people are people, doesn't matter what, um, 
and we all feel we all have feelings we all have things that matter to us and i think it's it's remembering as 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 being said here as well today like who jesus out with who jesus associated with and we are called to be like him um and it's just that reminder again too like you said so much about receiving we're so quick to say oh we need to do this so we should do that for them we should do that sometimes it's again simplifying all of that and just letting them yeah give to us it's beautiful it's thank you it's just mm. so the end of the story on easter sunday was this we were there for the weekend, and Walid and Merfat, of course, knew that we were that it was a special religious holiday. And on Saturday night, Walid said, "Well, I'll go. I'll go to church with you on Sunday," which was huge. It was like, oh, seriously. But we stayed up really late because that's in Syrian culture. Like, you, like two a.m. is still like early. The kids are still running around, right? I mean, so. So we went to bed. I think we went to bed like at 4 a.m. That, that night. We got up in the morning and Walid wasn't awake and we didn't want to knock on the door to wake him up. So we sneak out of the apartment and we go to church. We went to the Lutheran church. We could, there was a Catholic church and a Lutheran church. We can, the steeples you can see through, the, through his kitchen windows. We went without Walid. We weren't sure. Like, what do we do? But okay, we're not going to wake up the kids. We're going. So we go to church without Walid. And the pastor of this church is German, but he's married to a Canadian wife. So we sit through the whole service, beautiful service. They have a, they have a fellowship time after, after the service. So we go to the fellowship time. We, the, the wife, the Canadian wife of the pastor, her parents are there because they're there for the weekend. They're from Canada. We have this long conversation with the parents and then the, the Canadian wife comes and we have this conversation and we say, to, we say to the wife, we say to the Canadian parents, this Muslim family down the street would welcome you coming. Like if you would knock on the door and say, hey, how are you? They would welcome you in like they're open, they're ripe, like just go, please just knock on the door. You can take something or whatever, but just go say hello and say we met Jay and Tiana. I mean, and we told Waleed, you know, this the pastor, we told the pastor about you and Waleed was so excited. We get home to Hungary. I write an email to the pastor and to the wife. I said, please go. Like we talked to Waleed afterwards, like they're waiting for you. Go, go. And they never went. They never went. I hope you enjoyed the session. And I hope we all find ways to simplify our lives just a little. And now, if you'd like to make a donation to the Ladies Retreat Fund, here are the details. The account is Church of the Nazarene, British Isle South District, sort code 600173, account number 00219555, and see you next year at the CREATE Conference.